He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host, joined by the rest of the Munson's, and I want to give them a wide berth. His work is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We will be without Warren this episode. Um, we're not sure if he's just in the transfer portal somewhere, but we're pretty sure it's because he started a new job and his life is chaos right now. So we're going to do our best without him. Um, but we got the rest of the crew here, starting with Rigby. Yeah, happy to finally be joining at the beginning of the episode this time around. Happy to talk about a little Elliot Page tonight. So should be an interesting episode. Looking forward to it. We're so glad that you've decided to stop being a little bit Hollywood for us this time, Rigby. <laughs> it was really hard, but so I, nice. I made the ultimate sacrifice to make it on time today. James. Pumped to be here. I'm currently uh, recording this from my childhood home, so if there's a lack of personal space, I will mute myself because my family is slowly coming in and out of the office. Like, it doesn't matter. Dude, didn't your mom and dad, weren't they, like, recommending you do a podcast? Oh, yeah, that was last Thanksgiving. <laughs> that was a big, big moment for them. <laughs> they were like, you know what, I think, you know, you, you, should, you should do a podcast. And I was like, well, funny story, Mom. I've been doing one for about a year. But uh, <laughs> let me uh, subscribe you to it real quick. It would have been priceless and adorable if you'd have told us that your update was you had to tell them they couldn't watch you record tonight. <laughs> that, that wouldn't stop them. They're, I guarantee they will make an appearance here where I have to mute myself or we have to edit it out at some point. Case. Well, I was so inspired by the movie I'm reviewing tonight that uh, I went ahead and watched another popular remake from a 90s horror movie, Candyman. A little bit of a teaser. One of these movies I loved. The other one, let's just say I didn't. And you will have to listen for my review to, to get the hot take there. But other than that, man, not much on my end. Just excited to talk a little Elliot Page tonight. If you're intrigued by Case's little teaser there, just keep in mind he's reviewing the movie Flatliners. And that's all you really need to know to see through his ruse. I am excited because there was a dark moment in the world of the internet for a few days. And that's when OnlyFans announced that they would no longer be allowing graphic nudity on their platform. And I felt this moment of significant empathy for James, because I know that's his <laughs> livelihood right now. And James, you have to tell me, what were your thoughts when they announced finally that they're going to reallow that on their platform? I thought I was going to have to apply for a real job again. And, you know, like... How am I supposed to pay this mortgage without, you know, selling feet pics online? But <laughs> it was good to see that they came to their better judgment and they realized the uh, the amount of money they would lose would be catastrophic business models. So they reversed course on that very quickly. While I'm reckless in, in how I shame people, I'm not reckless and we're not reckless in who we invite to the podcast to be our guest. And because we've got Lauren Hopkins back with us for a second time to join us on the Munson's at the Movies. Woo! Welcome back. Thank you. Lauren is a higher education professional, and she lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She has worked from home since before COVID made it cool to do it, but also loved to travel often before COVID made that not cool. Since the last time we had her, Lauren has spent the summer learning to make seltzer, 
Interesting. It seems like nice. the, the thing these days. And teaching a 100-pound dog how to swim. When she's not doing all of these things, Lauren works as a background actor and has worked on over a dozen films and TV shows. Um, like I mentioned, she was here with us for the Maya Rudolph episode. Welcome back, Lauren. Thank you. Happy to be here. In between the last time we had you, have you done any background acting? Uh, I have. I actually was in Atlanta in May to work on a movie that I had worked on pre-COVID in Syracuse, New York. And then they were supposed to pick back up filming a few months later. And then we all know how let's just stay home for two weeks went. And so then they actually were, they had production stopped for quite a while and then moved production locations. And so I was in Atlanta in May to work on a movie. Very cool. Are you allowed to reveal the identity of this movie? Or is it secret? Uh, yeah, it's a movie called Gabriel's Rapture. And it's actually a sequel to a movie I'd worked on before. Mm-hmm. Well, we're glad to have you back. We're down one month in, so it's always nice when we've got a good guest to come in and help us pick up slack and put together a good episode. So let's do this. All right, birthdays. Because Warren's not here, someone needed to pick up the slack. And Lauren has graciously agreed to lead us in the birthday route. So let's see what she's got for us for September 9th. Awesome. Sweet. A lot of birthdays for September 9th. So I tried to try to just pick some good ones. The first one we have today is Adam Sandler. The Sandman. Sandman. Oh, same time. <laughs> That's a good one. 52. Oh, I was going to say 52. How about 51? What? 49. <laughs> <laughs> gave himself quite the window there. Rick. Yeah, went the wrong way. I'm going to give myself a, a decent chance of winning, so I'll go a little bit higher. I'll go 54. Kyle, you hit it right on the nose. He is 54. Nice. Yes. Good job, Kyle. Bullshit. Bullshit, says Case. <laughs> <laughs> I loved 100% Fresh, so I forgot how good Adam Sandler was at writing like musical jokes and... Uh-huh. 100% fresh absolutely killed me. He's great. And not endorse that special enough. It is damn good. All right. Well, next up, we have Hugh Grant. Oh, man. You. I don't know. I'm going to go 55 for Hugh. No, I think older. Yeah, I do too. I think he's just got such a beautiful head of hair. You think he's younger, but I think he's older. Give me 59. Mm, 62. Give me 68. What? I'm going old. Ooh. Old man. Damn. Ooh. Well, we're playing prices right rules. Kyle wins again. He is oh, sixty che- today. Damn. Oh, he's cheating. That's why. Google machine over here. Going for that clean sweep. Let's go. <laughs> That's a good, good-looking sixty-year-old. Yeah. Give Kyle a minute to uh, Google Michelle Williams' age. Yeah, for real. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> thirty-eight. Oh, I was going to say thirty-eight. Too late. Son of a B, I'll go 40. All right, I'm going to try to snake this thing with Price is Right rules. 31. Smart. Oh, well, Kyle makes the queen's clean sweep. She is 40 today. <laughs> Come on. Let's go. <laughs> All legit. No cheating whatsoever. Five actors tossed under the wheel per our usual approach. And those five actors were Neil McDonough, Jesse Eisenberg, Billy Connolly, Giancarlo Esposito, and none of them really matter because the wheel landed on Elliot Page. Um, Elliot, or as some movie and TV fans might know him as Ellen, which we'll get into a little bit previously, has 52 credits on his roster, so pretty manageable for someone who's been around uh, acting since uh, late 90s. And most of his work has been in the film world. So some TV... Some shorts, but mostly film, and we like that. We enjoy that. So 
Let's do how we normally do. Let's dig in with a little trivia from James, and this man's craft is only getting better by the week, and I don't think we're worthy. Well, I really appreciate the hype there. What I will say is, despite being in the acting game since he was really young, very private person. And again, you wouldn't think that with how outspoken he is about his transition and gay rights. Still not a lot of information out there about his actual personal life, other than the major things everyone knows. So this took a lot of digging, but I hope that I can trick some of you. I think I, think I could pull this off. Lauren, I don't know if you remember this, but what I do here is two truths and a lie. I'm going to read three facts. Two of them are going to be true about Elliot Page. And one is actually going to be about one of the many cast members of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Now, you would think, how can any of these facts sound even remotely similar when comparing Elliot Page to, say, Vin Diesel or Paul Walker or The Rock? Well, that's where the magic comes in. So I hope I can fool some of you guys. Fact number one, he has a tattoo of Kristen Wiig's name on his bicep. Fact number two, was once named PETA's sexiest vegan of the year. Fact number three, has over 92,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, despite only having produced and released two songs total. Great job, James. Yeah, dude. Mm. And you did some mental warfare beginning with trying to screw us up by saying names. <laughs> It's SAT prep. Yeah. I feel like the Kristen Wiig tattoo is the lie. I just don't know who from the Fast and Furious franchise that would be. So I'll say... I'll say I'll say Charlize Theron just for the hell of it. <laughs> yeah. I think I mentioned on the last podcast that I'm not sure I've ever seen a Fast and Furious film in its entirety. That hasn't changed since last time. <laughs> <laughs> It's about family, all right? Not sure I'm disappointed. I don't don't know if I should be disappointed or proud of you. I've got nothing. James, for the first time in over a year, I'm actually taking a legitimate shot at answering this with honesty and accuracy. Oh, love it. And I'm going to say it's fact three, and that has got to be Vin Diesel. I appreciate you, you know, putting your money where your mouth is on that. I'm going to go with fact three as well. I, I don't think he has Spotify listeners. I've done my research on this. Oh, no. I feel pretty comfortable on this one. The legit part of my answer is that I know fact two is wrong because James is playing with some word salad on us here. He knows that I know what was in the show notes. So I know fact two is wrong. Who it was, though, I think Ronda Rousey's a really sexy vegan. And that's where this comes from. Who played Kara in Furious 7. (laughs) So... I don't know where in the home in the show notes that I should have seen that, uh, but I apologize in advance if I did get this wrong. I don't think I did though, but I'll start this way. So, fact number one has a tattoo of Kristen Wiig's name on his arm. That's true. <laughs> Elliot only has three tattoos. One of them is a name of a family member. One of them is tattoo in relation to et but instead it's his initials and his ex-wife's initials and it says ep phone home and then one of them is legitimately christian wig's name revealed that on conan o'brien's talk show i'm talking about tattoos got the tattoo to show his love for his friend they both starred together in a movie we're going to cover called whip it and they became good friends and just out of nowhere it's like yeah i just got one big fan we came good friends you know thought it was kind of like a sign random tattoo to get but hilarious nonetheless Fact number two 
is true. It was once named uh, PETA's sexiest vegan of the year. That was 2014, by the way. Past winners include uh, the always odd but definitely attractive Jared Leto, Kristen Bell, formerly mentioned Kristen Wiig, Natalie Portman, uh, Spider-Man himself, Tobey Maguire, and officially the second Munson to receive the honor, uh, the first being Jessica Chastain. And fact number three, case you nailed it it's absolutely a fact about vin diesel who has ninety-two thousand spotify listeners despite only having two songs yes. however elliot page officially released three songs one more than you vin so step your game up if you're listening <laughs> three days ago oh shit at the time of this recording what? anyway yeah and oh. already has sixteen thousand monthly listeners the ep cover art is his dog and the music is kind of what you would expect it to be i listen to the three songs based on the indie kind of movies that we've seen Elliot do. And Elliot described it as lo-fi bedroom pop adventure. So you kind of get the gist of where it's going. Easy listening, but yeah, already has 16,000 monthly listeners despite just putting those three songs out three days ago. I was not expecting that plot twist. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, congrats, Case, for getting it right. We, normally, it's only guests who get it right. We never get it right. And normally, I piss away any guess I have just trying to make a joke. See, James, the reason I thought you were messing with me on two is because I had read that fact about 2014 alongside Jared Leto, but I had only read vegetarian, not vegan. So I thought you were just changing the word. And then I was like, who else would have been like, I didn't I don't know what PETA gives out. So I don't know if there's a vegan and a vegetarian award. Right? Like, I don't know anything any of that shit you would think that there would be more vegans in the fast and furious franchise but the only when i typed in the word vegan and fast and furious the only thing that popped up was like michelle rodriguez is thinking about it like four years ago i was like wow no one really cares got it all right cool (laughs) Yep, no time for that good work as always that was great man that was great all right snapshot and box office history case what do we got last week we had a situation where an actor was actually held back a little bit on the metrics that I use. And really, I just tried to develop some metrics so we could start comparing some of these actors on a more of an even playing field. This week is the exact opposite. So if you remember last week, Chris Hemsworth had massive box office success, but it was kind of washed out a little bit because of the massive budgets of the movies that he was in. And this week, Elliot Page is the exact opposite. Being in smaller budgeted films that have done well in the box office, he has actually performed significantly better than I had anticipated. And really where the strength of Elliot's box office numbers come in is the return on investment on the budgeted films. He's got three really strong return on investments. The first one is Inception, which was budgeted for $160 million and a world gross $837 million which is five times its budget. Lauren, as you know, any filmmaker in the industry, if they can make five times their budget, they're going to be in pretty good mood. Hard Candy, which we'll talk about shortly, had a budget of $950,000 and a world gross $7 million, which is nearly seven and a half times its budget. So again, pretty impressive. But the most impressive movie that we have on our box office numbers in this category is hands down Juno which had a $7.5 million budget, and it world grossed $232 million. This movie returned more than 30 times its budget, which is crazy. Unbelievable. That's an indie production dream. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. thing that's nice about it is he's got pretty big role in, in all those movies. In Juno, I mean, it's, it's hard to argue that he's a major portion of that success. 
On the low end of the spectrum, Page has a pretty impressive bomberoo. So I don't want you guys to think he's just a cash machine. Turn around box office numbers. Tracy Fragments, which pays play the title role of Tracy, had a budget of $586,000 and ended up grossing a whopping $42,000. This movie lost $540,000 out of $586,000 budget. <laughs> I do have one other note uh, as it relates to the box office, but it is actually about the movie I'm covering later on this episode, so I will save it for that part of the review. But overall, box office, Paige does a really, really good job of establishing a really nice spot in our list of, compared to other actors. Where is he at? He finishes, you guys, this is going to floor you guys, number eight. I'm actually not that shocked by that based on all the movies that you've mentioned. Because those are all like mega hits. Mega. Star Meter, number five. Critic ranking, 20. Fan ranking, 24. Number six and number one in uh, two different box office metrics. And that puts him at eight. Pretty impressive. That Star Meter shocked me. That's higher than I thought. He's got a lot of heat right now. Yeah, that Star Meter says something about relevance pop culture wise, which we'll get into as we dig in. Thanks, Case. You bet. Well, before we get into first feature film, let's talk a little bit about the early days for Elliot Page. So Elliot fell in love with acting when he saw Phantom of the Opera in Toronto back in the day. Went to school at the Shambhala School, which was based with some Buddhist principles, which is really interesting when it comes to like your early days and growing up. But like James said, it's really hard to find a lot about Elliot. You would think uh, he's been in the the limelight quite a bit the past few years for a lot of personal revelations and there's just not much not even on his wikipedia page so uh, you kind of have to dig really deep to find those things but canadian through and through and because of that a lot of his earliest work on the screen was doing canadian films and television shows so for example his first ever role was in a movie called pit pony played a, a, a small character named maggie and also played the recurring role in that same show, Pit Pony, between 99 and 2000. What was interesting, I I did watch Pit Pony, and the connection I noticed is because in 2001, 2002, Elliot played Trina Leahy in five episodes of the Trailer Park Boys, which is one of my favorite shows of all time, and I think I'm going to start re-watching it here pretty soon. And, you know, she it's five different episodes. She plays Leahy's daughter and is interacting with a lot of the main characters very early in the show. I noticed John Dunsworth, who plays Jim Leahy in Trailer Park Boys in Pit Pony. So I was starting to see the connections in the Canadian film scene at that moment in time. I was like, that's probably why she got the job on Trailer Park Boys, because she worked with John on on Pit Pony. 2002, he's in Marion Bridge, plays a character named Joni. I read that this is where Elliot fell in love with acting, doing this particular role. You know, very young and, you know, like most young actors would do, did a Disney film. I downloaded a ghost, played Stella. Play a little bit of a jokester character in that one, a Disney TV movie that you can find uh, at least clips of on YouTube. And 03, uh, played young Lisa in Homeless to Harvard, the Liz Murray story, another TV movie. So a lot of, you know, nothing huge by this point, but a lot of smaller projects. But fairly large if you're, you know, a fifth grader. Yeah, right. <laughs> when you're ninth grade, this is yeah. this is not the normal ninth grade life, no. right? You're already very much in, comfortable in front of the camera, and you don't even have your driver's license yet. And then at 16, joined the Vaughn Road Academy Toronto. Um, so taking some other steps for his acting career. 
then the last one I'll mention for our first feature film is Mouth to Mouth, a movie that is available on YouTube. Plays a little bit of a goth runaway that joins this cult-like group that is trying to help people get sober. And I just noticed uh, August Deal was in that movie who you've seen in some Tarantino films and Terrence Malick films. So that was a, a fun connection to see. But all that is going to get us to his first big meaty role in Hard Candy in 2005. And Lauren, as our guest months in, generally takes my review. And in this case, I would have done first feature film. And so Lauren has a pretty heavy one to talk through here. Yeah, I would say pretty heavy is an understatement. It's like a romantic comedy, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Coming of yeah. age tale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Hard Candy came out in 2005, premiered at Sundance. And as Craig mentioned earlier, it had a budget of just under a million dollars, but actually made, ultimately made around seven million. So big return on what they spent versus what they made. He actually did win, uh, win an award for this, won Best Actress at the 2006 Austin Film Critics Association Awards. Ooh. Just something to note there. In this, Elliot Page plays a teenage girl named Haley who meets this 30-something photographer in an online chat room, meets up with him in real life, and then convinces him to take her to his house and then proceeds to drug and torture him because she suspects him of being a pedophile that was also involved in the disappearance of another teenage girl. And so, you know, very, very uplifting, comedic, you know, just it was was heavy. (laughs) I'll be honest. Yeah. I was watching this with my nieces and nephews. They loved it. They absolutely oh, loved oh, it. Oh, no, I'm just messing <laughs> Yeah, right? Right? Um, stuff, yeah. Great Uncle James. I think especially watching this movie a few times to really, you know, make sure I wasn't missing things and to be prepared for this was, uh, that was a lot. I I think, you know, the and the whole movie was kind of disturbing. And, and I would say that both main characters really need a lot of time in therapy. Hmm. I think that was a big takeaway for me. If they were real people, I hope that was a takeaway for them that y'all need therapy. Or as they say in Bad Boys too, you motherfuckers need Jesus. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I would say, I, I think that the acting from both Paige and her co-star Patrick Wilson was was really on point. They, they really, I think, brought played their characters very well and as hard as that was to watch. I, I also think, too, something I noticed about this film that really stuck out to me was that, like, they managed to, and there's there's one scene in particular, but they, they managed to imply a particularly graphic scene without actually showing anything. There wasn't any nudity. There wasn't any actual graphic imagery yeah. But the sound effects were so gruesome and so compelling. And I like, yeah, I watched with my boyfriend and he was physically uncomfortable watching this movie the whole time. Like, this, this podcast is making you watch this shit. Oh what are you doing with your time? He crossed his legs during the, uh, the aforementioned scene. Uh-huh. I'm sure. He sure did. <laughs> this movie, it got a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 78% audience score. I read this review from Roger Ebert. He wrote on his blog, he called it Lolita with a scalpel. And I just thought that was an interesting description of this film. Oh, man. I think Paige has got some some levity in some other films that we're going to talk about. But this one was definitely on the darker side. Oh, no question. In, in so many ways. It's quite the departure from earlier work. 
which is mm-hmm. not anything like this. So the fact they took a chance on him at the time to do this is it's pretty impressive. I would say when I was watching this at first, you were like, okay, they're very much playing off of Elliot's ability to seem wise beyond his years, right? It's a, it's a child, but it's a mature, intelligent child. And then you see them in this situation where you're like, oh, but that's absolutely a sexual predator that is trying to take advantage of him. And then they just sit the rest of the movie in this in-between area where you hate Patrick Wilson's character, but you also sympathize for, it's gross. Yeah, for what he's going through. And you're sitting there and you have to like admit to the fact that you're watching a pedophile, a child rapist. And then you're like, yeah, but I kind of hope he pulls this off because he's in a bad spot. And then you're like, well, but no, but no. And I felt like, this was one of those movies where it's asking a lot of an actor like Elliot Page to play this character. And when you're 20, I think, when this role came out, I thought it was tremendous performance. It's just a movie that you're like, I don't want to watch that ever again because it doesn't give the audience a, ch- a second to breathe. The whole time you're uncomfortable. Elliot Page was actually 17 at the time of filming. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was just mind-blowing to me that he was that young and, and portraying portraying a 14 year old but so so not that far away from now for the movie you guys are describing that is a shockingly high score for both of those Mm -hmm. because a lot of times for the movies you're talking about the way you're describing it most of the time that is not very popular with fans it's usually a critic Mm -hmm. that's a critic gap movie normally it's 100 percent the actor's performance because this is before patrick wilson was like the go-to horror actor and He's great in this role, and the same is with Elliot Page. So I think it has to do with the two leads who are carrying this whole disturbing film are doing a great job making it a disturbing film. Wow, intriguing. 78% says it's a crowd pleaser. That's what I gather. Lauren, where do you fall on that? I don't ever want to watch that movie again. (laughs) I agree. Fully agree. (laughs) But I I do think the acting was great. I think taking the content out of it, I think they, you know, they, they played the characters extraordinarily well. I agree with Lauren in that Patrick Wilson and, and Elliot Page are both fantastic in this. Lauren, do you feel like you're a better person for having watched and reviewed this? I think this is one of those movies that you can watch and you feel better about your own sanity. Like I, I definitely was <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing better than I thought, yeah. All right, so Hard Candy 2005, coming out of the gate, first feature, lead role, Killed it in a movie that's hard to watch a second time, for sure. Over the next couple of years, the big one to note is 06. He played Kitty Pride in X-Men The Last Stand, a movie where I read that he was actually outed by Brett Ratner's being gay yeah. during the filming of the movie, which sucks. And a pack one confirmed it, too. Brett Ratner's a fucking douche. Yeah, that's that's not surprising. That guy's an asshole. Like a 19 years old outing a an act, young actor like that is a real shit, shit bad move. And like he never denied the claims because he was too busy denying the fucking rape claims he had against him. So like he's got so many other issues he's dealing with that he's like, I'm not even going to get around to being a douchebag in this regard. He's like, what do I rather be known as, an asshole yeah. or a rapist? I'll take asshole. Yeah, so, I got to go pick and choose my battles when I'm a giant piece of shit. What did you guys think of Kitty Pride and this X-Men movie and I guess the, the, the other one that came seven years later? So this one kind of sucked, but uh, Kitty Pride did get to have the one of the first viral moments I saw put into pop culture is when 
Kitty Pride is running from the juggernaut. And there was a famous YouTube video at the moment where someone dubbed over the X-Men cartoons, specifically the juggernaut. And he said, I'm the juggernaut bitch in like a 1970s pimp voice. And then they actually put that line for Vinnie Jones in this movie when Kitty Pride, who can like run through walls, was running from the juggernaut who one of his powers is he once he gets running, he can't be stopped. So he can also run through walls, but it actually goes through them. And he says like something along the lines like you can't run from me. I'm the juggernaut, bitch. And they're like, oh, they, they did the viral video thing in the movie. But this one kind of stunk. The other one actually was really good. Days of Future Past, that one was really good. Yep. And I enjoyed that one a lot. Which I read that he was very surprised that he got asked back for Days of Future Past because it was eight years after the first one, but was very excited about taking on the role at the time. So doing some superhero work played a pretty major role in that. Not Wolverine level major, but, you know, supporting character in that superhero universe. Mm-hmm. It is blowing my mind that he is doing all of these incredibly good and massive projects, and he's a teenager. Yeah. 18 at the time. Blowing my mind. That's crazy talk. Yeah, I think we sometimes take for granted when you see child actors, teenagers, like, doing incredible work, and you're like, oh, that's normal. It's not. Yeah. At all. Right? Like, just to balance everything at that age is crazy. So, 2007, largest audience gap is an American crime, and James is going to talk about it. The audience gave this a score of 74, and the critics gave it a score of 38. So, the audience loved it, and the critics hated it. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know how the audience loved this. Um, This movie is somehow less watchable than hard candy when it comes to what you experience on screen. So it is based on a true story too. The film recounts one of like the most shocking crimes I've ever heard of in our backyard, James. Yep. Right here took place in Indianapolis, Indiana, where in 1965, a teenage girl was locked in the basement for and tortured for months by a neighborhood family. Uh, If that sounds like a movie you enjoy, you should probably call the police But that's exactly what you're getting here. They did not dress this movie up at all. Uh, It is very much a straightforward reenactment of that story. So young girl Sylvia Likens is played by Elliot Page, one of two daughters of traveling kind of carnival workers who are on extended stay and they need the money. So they leave their daughters with like a neighborhood friend. And the neighborhood friend is a patron of Indianapolis home, a single mother, Gertrude Benuski, I believe. She's played by Catherine Keener, and uh, she has six children, and was originally going to be released in theaters, but due to production issues, it was sold to Showtime and became a uh, TV movie. Um, It's got a really good cast. It's Catherine Keener, who's great, Elliot Page, who's great in it. James Franco plays an abusive boyfriend, which is probably something that was fairly easy for him to play. Um... Bradley Whitford plays a district attorney who prosecutes the family. And let me tell you, it is a hard watch because it goes out of its way to put the torture this family goes through and like the complete sense, uh, the torture this family puts this young girl through and like the complete senselessness of it and the amount of people who could have done something to intervene, but didn't like right on display and doesn't really put any more of a story around it. It is just a torture movie from start to finish senseless violence and it's a true story so you're just sitting there just like keener and page are great in their roles page is uh definitely vulnerable and helpless and his character throughout the movie portrays that really well 
Keener is also portraying like a complete psychopath who still somehow believes like she's upholding like traditional Christian values by torturing Paige's character. Despite the story and the captivating performances, though, this movie doesn't go out of its way to explore like why anything is taking place. So it's just a straightforward torture film, which I can't justify watching ever again. An important story that was told straightforward when it needed to be told kind of more palatable way and explored a little more for the viewer. But instead, it's like, you just want two hours of watching a teenager get killed? Here you go. I'm like, ugh, I don't want this anymore. I don't know how the audience liked it. I think they liked it because the story is uh, one that needs to be told and about you know uh, children being abused and how they can't really reach out for help. But I don't think people actually liked this movie. I think they just liked the story and what has happened and changing laws since then. Uh, but I can't see someone justifying enjoying this movie. It is brutal. It's tough to watch. I think in particular because Elliot Page is so convincing as this helpless, very much abused yep. human who gets branded. And it's, it's, it's rough. It's just interesting to watch because it's right here in the backyard of Indianapolis. So that part at least perked me up a little bit. But we're on a, a trend so far of tortured characters either doing their torture or being tortured. It's, it just seems to be a theme. Like I looked up the, like the address because that's like right in the city that we live in. And that house was still up and it was unoccupied and still up until about 2009 when it got to, finally got demolished. And now it's a church parking lot. But everyone involved in the story, like the kids tortured her. She tortured them like neighborhood kids around tortured her. Like six people ended up going to jail. Five of them were children. One of them was Keener, who got life in prison, but was like Keener's character, who got life in prison. Like, it's just a story of the worst people on earth. And watching it on film, you're like, oh my God, is this still going? You're like, there's an hour left of this. What more could possibly happen? And it just keeps keeping on. I don't know if we've ever started an episode with reviews where I can sense the utter despair in the two reviewers yeah. as they tell their stories. That's why like, I saved this one to watch it last because I was doing the review because there's so many other movies I love, like Juno and Inception. I was like, oh, these movies are great. And then I was like, I looked at what I'm reviewing. I was like, oh, my God, I got to be in a safe space when I watch that. So far, the only projects I want to watch of Elliot Page are Trailer Park Boys. That's a good answer. <laughs> You're right. That's it so far. Who knows? We haven't, we haven't seen I Downloaded a Ghost, so you don't really know yet. Fair point. No, don't close the door on that one yet. A lot of reviews early in the career here, but the one movie we'll mention before we get the highest critic score, so we're gonna we're gonna add some joy and jubilee into this, is 2007's The Tracy Fragments, which Case talked about as a huge bummer roof. Highest critic is Juno, one that we mentioned and talked a little bit about on the Alice and Janney episode, but definitely didn't give it its due. So Rigby struck gold on this episode and he's going to get a chance to talk about this yeah I, I got lucky so the first two movies we reviewed uh sound pretty horrific but this one is a, is a real treat so so juno is a 2007 comedy film starring elliot page along with an all-star cast uh like jk simmons allison janney previously covered on munson's at the movies uh michael Sarah, jason bateman and jennifer garner it's a wonderful movie about a teenage girl named juno Played by Elliot Page, obviously, before Elliot Page uh, transitioned. Juno is in the process of looking to experiment with sex with her best friend, Polly, played by Michael Sarah. And in that, Juno happens to get pregnant. Um, after revealing to her family that she is pregnant, she visits an abortion clinic. and um, But Juno decides that she wants to have the baby. And in that decision comes the main plot of the movie. The viewer is left wondering whether Juno will keep the baby and raise it herself 
or will Juno give up the baby for adoption? And in that, we meet many of the movie's great supporting characters like Jennifer Garner and Jason Bateman, who are a quirky couple who are looking to adopt uh, a baby. It's an absolutely wonderful movie. Uh, Paige is extremely funny yet also very touching as Juno. Juno's parents, played by J.K. Simmons and uh, and Janney, are are pure comedy gold. They're my th- those two are my favorite part of the movie. Just their 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 wackiness, basically, and just how they interact with Juno, I think, is absolutely fantastic. The movie's written by Diablo Cody, who has a great story. She was a stripper before she became a screenwriter, and she's also a graduate of the University of Iowa, so she's got a, a close place in my heart. Um, she's also gone on to do other works in Hollywood since Juno. In my eyes, this is the most memorable role of Paige's career thus far. And I think it really showed off his range coming from a dark and disturbing movie like Hard Candy to a tender, funny movie like this. I really can't recommend it enough. It's one of my favorite movies of the 2000s. And after having recently rewatched it, it's still funny to this day. Um, I just remember that year there was some really good movies. Michael Clayton. Uh, there Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men. And in all of those movies, Juno was my favorite of, of all of them. So I think that's really saying something. And it's got, like I said, it's got great staying power. It's still awesome to this day. And um, super, super creative movie. And yeah, I really loved it. And I loved Elliot's uh, performance in this. This has a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. So it just shows how much the, the critics loved it. Roger Ebert, who I has always been my favorite critic, he said this was his favorite film of 2007, and, and rightfully so, in my opinion. It was the first time I'd ever seen it, and I found myself audibly laughing like four or five different times, and that's not something I normally do. And I just, I just loved Elliot's portrayal. My friend, my friend, who's a psychologist, would say Juno's character is has a very buoyant personality, and by buoyant, meaning like doesn't dwell on the negatives of the situation, very positive and is like aggressively positive Mm -hmm. to the point where like, I don't know how one person could be like that, but like the performance is so consistent that you buy it. It makes sense in that universe. So you look at the other movies we've looked at up until this point, and there have been some good actors in those movies, but this movie has a lot of good actors. And he is just, again, we, we say this with a lot of, Actors that we rate real highly, he is going toe-to-toe and delivering just as good of a performance as anybody else in this movie. It's really impressive. Yep. Was the fourth youngest actress ever nominated for an Academy Award for uh, Best Leading Actress. Yep. Yeah. Fourth youngest ever, 20 years old, getting an Academy Award <laughs> nomination. Absolutely wild, but I think a, an indicator of the talent we're looking at still to this day. So Yes. We've got, so we just went back to back to back kind of with reviews. We've got a little bit of time before the next one. So between 08 and 2014, Ella gets very busy. So 08 is in Smart People as a character named Vanessa, alongside folks like Dennis Quaid. But 2009, he's in Whip It, a movie that I think James mentioned earlier, a movie about women's roller derby. And he plays Bliss slash Babe Ruthless, which is a great roller derby name. Mm-hmm. And it's directed by Drew Barrymore, which is pretty interesting. Marsha Gay Harden plays the character's mom, and Marsha Gay is great in it. I enjoyed Whip It. It's available on Hulu. What a cool topic for a movie. I, I love movies with original topics and plots, and this this certainly fits that. Yeah, I had actually somehow never seen Whip It before. I watched it a couple of weeks ago. I really liked it. I have a couple of friends that actually do roller derby, so it was 
Hell yeah. And I've, I've never watched them do roller derby and I was kind of, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, this is really cool. I kind of want to go <laughs> watch them play compete. Yeah, the ensemble makes roller derby seem pretty fun to go watch. Yeah. Lauren, did you reach out to your any friends? Um, I didn't. I should though. I but I what I was gonna say is I, I really enjoyed her dad. I loved at, at like at the end when he puts that sign out in the yard. <laughs> He's so excited to finally have a kid that he can put a yard sign out. <laughs> Who's played by Daniel Stern? Their athletic prowess. And I was like, Yes, I love this. Cool little concept. Definitely something to check out if you're a fan of Elliot Page. But 09 is kind of the first example of a few where Elliot does kind of features his activism work on screen. And so uh, in this case, he narrated the Vanishing of the Bees documentary, which was all about at the time um, trying to figure out why were all the bees, the honeybees disappearing across the world and how was that affecting global markets and the health of the environment, things like that. So only about an hour long, pretty fascinating, but I think the first documented example of a few that we're going to see where you see a very activist lifestyle, especially in the work that he does. 09 makes the appearance on The Simpsons, like many other actors that we've covered up to this point. And then in 2010, probably the biggest movie that he's been in in his career is in Christopher Nolan's Inception as Ariadne. The crossover with JGL. So we haven't talked about this since episode one. No. Who else is in it? Ken Watanabe. Watanabe. Oh, okay. Watanabe's in it. He dies in it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a given. Oh. (laughs) No. It's one of the 70% of the movies he dies in. That's true. (laughs) Not only is Inception awesome, and obviously it's helmed by Christopher Nolan, who's one of the premier directors in Hollywood with an awesome cast, but this is Elliot's first foray into like action thrillers, too. So really showing off that range. And the, the the chemistry between between Elliot and DiCaprio in this film is is fantastic. Yeah, and yeah, it was a it was a great cast on their part. Another example of really belonging on the screen with other big actors. It's really impressive that he was able to pull this off. I love Inception. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It blew my mind the first time I saw it, and um, I think the most shocking and impressive visual scene in the movie is. Leonardo DiCaprio and Elliot Page in like the first half hour of the movie when they're at the cafe and Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to coach Elliot through how to create these dream worlds. And then he goes like, how do you think we got here? And he can't remember. It's like, uh, and then everything explodes. I was absolutely blown away. I watched it again and it gave me chills. I was like, damn, this scene rocks so hard. Yeah. The thing I read about this particular press junket was it was not great on Elliot's psyche because at this time Elliot was really struggling with gender identity and during the junket because it's a Chris Nolan film and it was so big Elliot was having to go out every night and wear like these new a new dress and look very girly and was really struggling with that and the fact that Elliot was being forced into that almost nightly really, really struggled with it. Yeah. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. I'm sure the paycheck was nice for that movie and really put Elliot on the map. But from a mental health standpoint, I don't think it was very healthy. Yeah, he's gone out of, out of his way to say that like the clothing was something he, he had struggled with since he was a child, where it's like the haircuts were uncomfortable, but once he was able to cut his hair short, he felt a lot more comfortable. 
Um, but the clothing was something that he could never move past because of kind of the gender norms that are expected. And when you have to do a red carpet event every night where it's not only just like feminine clothes, but it is the most feminine clothes. It was, yeah, I read the same thing, Kyle really, really waned on him. Yep. A couple of roles just to mention over the next couple of years was in Super as Libby slash Bolty in 2010, made an appearance on Family Guy in 2012, so doing some of the biggest cartoons at the time, just little one-episodes, one-offs. And then does a Woody Allen movie in To Rome With Love, plays Monica, a struggling actress, and I hate to admit it, because James will throw me under the proverbial bus on this, even though I caught it's corny as hell at times, and it's very Woody Allen, I actually didn't mind this movie. Comparatively, some others that we watched that I hate, but I really like Midnight in Paris. I hate that I really like it, but I love it. And To Run With Love had its very endearing moments, like having the Italian husband doing uh, opera. No, I mean, you know what you did. <laughs> Kyle, I'm, I'm with you. I, it's, it's not my favorite Woody Allen, but it's, it's an enjoyable movie. So I don't I don't think there's any shame in saying that. Yeah. Obviously there's shame in praising Woody Allen, which none of us are, are doing right now, but the movie itself is is enjoyable. Does selecting to be in this movie kind of surprise anybody for Elliot? A little bit. Mm-hmm. When asked about it and interviewed later, he mentioned like, yeah, I was intimidated. Uh, you know, you see the cast and you know, you hear so many things about you know, growing up and going through art school, like, oh, Woody Allen has such a big name. Alec Baldwin, you know, Gerwig. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Gerwig. Roberto Benigni, who I believe won an Academy Award. He was delightful in the movie. He was yeah, absolutely he, delightful. But when interviewed, it's like, yeah, kind of regret it. Okay. It was intimidating. Didn't know really what I was getting myself into. And, you know, if I could take it back, I would. Interesting. Yeah. I would say of all the actors that Elliot works with that we've covered, Alison Janney is definitely the most prolific of the group because I think there's at least three movies, could be four, that he works with Allison on, including Touchy Feely in 2013. Played a character named Jenny. Made his video game debut in Beyond Two Souls in 2013. So joining the likes of the Danny Treos and Keith Davids of the world doing some video game stuff. X-Men Days of Future Past, which we mentioned earlier, eight, eight years after the original. Yeah, reappeared as Kitty Pride. A movie that has this is the good one. Is good and Case was like, I can't believe the scores on this movie. Like it's really highly rated. Yeah, this one's ninety and ninety-one critic and audio mm-hmm. compared to the other one, which is fifty-seven and sixty-one. That's pretty wild for a for a sequel, right? It's usually flipped. There's been like twelve X-Men movies and three of them are good, <laughs> and the rest of them are like either pure trash or just like kinda shitty. And this is one of the three good ones. Not only does Elliot do SNL, but also big career moment, big personal moment came out as gay in 2014. Publicly in a speech at an event. What was the event? But to do it in that manner. It was an LGBTQ like celebration event. It was like an advocacy event. And and Elliot was like, because I'm gay myself. And everybody's like, oh, shit. Yeah. And after... Fucking asshole Brett Radner went out of his way to out Elliot years in advance to do it on your own terms and to do it in an event like that has to be really rewarding and it's really commendable to do it on such a large scale, uh, large stage. Yeah. Surrounded by people who you know are going to support you. Absolutely. Doing that decision. So that's, that's definitely a calculated move. 
And he's gotten to the biggest part of his career at this point and mm-hmm. risking a lot, but at the same time, being able to carry a lot of influence is, mm-hmm. is really commendable. This is an important milestone for her career because you're going to see a shift as we continue down this path of the types of roles that Elliot chooses to take on. And there there's a consistent theme a little bit closer to who he really is. And I think you see a shift in the types of projects that he takes on at that moment in time. A little bit of a pivot here that we're going to see. But Largest Critic App is 2015, and that movie is Into the Forest. And since Warren's not here, I'm going to jump in and tackle that one. Into the Forest is Largest Critic App. The split is 76-43, so 76 critics, 43. So pretty much the exact opposite almost to the point for American crime for for audience gaps. So just kind of flip the numbers and that's where we're at. And so it's an indie film. Those indie films like this are almost chock full, like ready for critic gap type of situations. It's also an A24 film, which for critics perks their interest right away because A24 has a very particular brand when it comes to projects like this. Brought up A4 a couple different times on this podcast. What is their brand or what is the thing that attracts critics to their movies? I I think definitely like original stories. Yeah. They nail just like ridiculously original scripts with like quirky characters. Artsy types of stories too. It's like ranges from like did they do the lighthouse? They did, right? Yep. They're not they're not afraid to challenge the form. Right. Okay. To like hereditary, you know, just like shit like that. Like every single just like banger original movie that's come out over the last five years, like it's possible that A24 is behind it. He's probably a pretty good fit with this production company. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I love A24. They're not afraid to put money behind a small project okay. with like relative unknown writers, relative unknown directors just to fund it to get like good actors in there and good production value. And so sometimes there's flops and then sometimes they strike gold. I I learned before even getting into plot that the the entire reason this movie was made is because Elliot found this book on a bookshelf in Halifax, where he's from, and was convinced to buy it by the woman who worked there and read through it, fell in love with it, and became one of the producers on the film. Elliot's the main reason this movie exists, which is pretty cool. That's very cool. Synopsis is after a massive power outage, two sisters learn to survive on their own in their isolated woodland home. The sisters are played by Elliot Page and Evan Rachel Wood. The synopsis fails to mention that they are two of the most selfish people ever to land in a survival situation, which frustrates the living shit out of you, which completely explains the critic gap here and why audiences didn't love it as much as critics, because they make just absolutely bonkers decisions early on in the movie that you just can't help but shake your head at. Um, It really holds back high ratings on this movie. Well, because everybody's so well-versed in (laughs) apocalyptic conditions, so everybody knows how they would handle it, right? We're all uh, armchair quarterbacks when it comes to zombie apocalypses. Well, this last year I bought a lot of toilet paper. and (laughs) So this is the, the main frustration. At the start, Elliot's character is kind of the one that you hate. Because he really wants to go, like, power's out. The movie doesn't tell you why. All you know is that people are starting to get frenetic. People are starting to get desperate. Gas is really hard to find. So it's getting to the point where, like, we got to hunker down and and conserve. And Elliot's like, I just want to go in and hang out with the cute boy. I'm hanging out with Dad. Drive me to town, even though we really don't have gas because I accidentally left the battery on in the car, blah, blah, blah. And so we got to, we can't even jump the car. So it's, 
very selfish at the start of the movie. Eventually, then it becomes Evan Rachel Wood's character, who is a dancer, and it just constantly complains because they don't have power. So she has to dance to a metronome, and that's driving her nuts. And that goes on for like 30 to 45 minutes. And you're just like, get with the picture. There's like, people are desperate. You don't need music right now. So that drives you crazy over time. But I will say, Elliot is acting his ass off in this movie. Even though he starts as insufferable by the end, it becomes the responsible one. And there is a scene where his character actually guts a pig, a real pig. Elliot takes a big bite out of the role. There's a lot of emotions dealing with grief. It's a very emotional role. Evan Rachel Wood is also phenomenal in the second half. Her character, there's a really tough scene to watch where she gets raped by this local guy. And they shift the perspective. It's like vertical. And knowing her history of abuse at the hands of Marilyn Manson and watching her act in that scene, it's it's incredibly powerful. One of one of the most intense scenes I've ever seen. And just kind of knowing her background, it it makes sense why she was able to kind of channel some of that. So that that was pretty gnarly to watch. But which movie was it earlier where we mentioned the whole like uh, was it Hard Candy? She was seventeen playing a fourteen year old, right? Yeah. yeah. In this movie. Evan and Elliot play like 17, 18 year olds and they're both 28 and 29 in real life. And they're like talking about the SAT and stuff like that. And that's kind of non-believable. That's a little bit of a limitation for it. So I think IMDb has it right here. They have it. The audience has it at 5.8. The critics have it at 59. It's almost identical. I would put it in like the 50 to 55 range. I don't think it's anywhere near 70 and I don't think it's anywhere near 30. But that's my take on Into the Forest. It's an interesting film. Was it going for kind of a quiet place vibe with not explaining the apocalyptic cause? Yeah, Max Minghella plays a supporting character and his whole character is like talking about, we've heard rumors that they're getting power back on the East Coast in Boston. So they were going to leave at one point and go hiking like the however long it would take them to get like eight months to hike to Boston or something ridiculous like that. But it's it's built as a like sister connecting with each other film and it's okay at that okay it's just there's a lot going on and the characters drive you absolutely bonkers and there's just some un- unnecessary plot points and, but the one thing to note here is elliot has his first nude scene in a film too in this movie with max Minghella. i'm impressed that this kicks off a pretty good run of producer credits for him yeah those producer credits are into the forest free held my days of mercy the cured and there's something in the water so the next couple of years he's in free held plays Stacy alongside Julianne Moore, a movie about a lesbian police detective in New Jersey who ends up getting cancer and has a huge fight. True story about having a fight on her hands to make sure her partner, domestic partner, gets her pension because at the time marriage was not legal. Um, Gay marriage wasn't legal. And so, again, to the theme of coming out, starting to pick some roles that are very LGBTQ focused. It's a decent movie. It's okay. Julianne Moore is phenomenal. I mean, she's a phenomenal actress. As always. Good supporting. True story. It's probably in like the 60 range. It's not a great movie, but I I think it does a decent job of telling the story. Michael Shannon's in it, and he's pretty much good in everything he does. Yeah. Next year, Tallulah. Elliot plays Tallulah, a a young woman who is babysitting for a terrible mother who decides to basically take the woman's child away from her because this woman is such a hazard. And Allison Janney plays a character who's trying to deal with the ethical dilemma at play there. A pretty decent film. It's available on Netflix as well. This is back-to-back episodes where we have actors playing a lot of title roles. Yeah, it's probably like the third or fourth by now. 
And then finally, a voice role in My Life as a Zucchini plays Rosie, and that was an Oscar-nominated foreign film that year. So that's a cool, if you're going to do some voice work, at least do it in something that's Oscar-nominated. So that's, that's pretty fun. And we run into now our final feature review, and that is Flatliners 2017, and Case is going to talk about it. This is the lowest critic rank, and when I'm looking at my spreadsheet of 24, Four twenty-five movies. The four percent is the lowest critic or fan ranking of anything that I have on my sheet. Spoiler alert: It deserved it. They really did. Damn, that bad. Four is like all-time bad. Well, and and there's an interesting story behind here, and, and I'll get into it in a second here. It does have a thirty-two percent for fan ranking, and I think that is a nostalgia ranking based on the original movie. The movie was budgeted for nineteen million dollars, and I did gross $26 million, so it was a surprising profit. However, it's not that surprising when you hear how the movie was released. In reading several articles in preparation for this episode, it was clear that the studio had given up on this movie and they knew that it was not good. So what they did was they released this movie cold. No screenings, and they didn't even allow a Thursday night showing. They basically wanted audiences to go into the weekend watching this movie and not give them a chance to really like nosedive it before more audiences could watch it in a very odd strategy i've actually watched this movie three times in the last 18 months i caught it on stars about a year ago <laughs> you're in your own form of torture you like to hurt yourself do you, do you huh during the peak of covid stay at home time i saw this on stars and i turned it on and then the movie was over and i realized that i hadn't paid attention at all so then i thought to myself well I must just not have been in the mood for a movie or this movie because it can't possibly be that bad. So naively, I watched it again another occasion not too long after that. And what I realized was that my defense mechanism of disinterest had been protecting me the entire time from this movie. And then I finally watched it again in preparation for this episode. About the plot, Flatliners is a 2017 sci-fi horror remake of the popular 1990s movie by the same name. There's a reason why this movie did successful because of the 90s movie, and and I'll get into that here in a second. Both versions follow five med school students who begin to do experiments involving inducing death, staying dead for a short period of time, and then being brought back to life. Pretty much the same angles. They're, They're pretty similar movies. The only difference on this one is that when this cast is brought back from the dead, they're kind of like super wired, or they have some superpowers, and so... You know, like Elliot Page is able to all of a sudden play piano and remember a bunch of stuff that nobody else can really explain. And then as each of them kind of go into their flatlining experience, they come out with this superpower, but then they also come out with this haunting, which is similar to the first one. Page plays a really important role uh, at the plot of this movie. He plays Courtney, who is the one that actually begins the experimenting. Courtney tells the others that. What he needs is their help to run the experiment because he wants to more or less study the afterlife and try to get some scientific basis for life after death. And he basically needs a medical team to induce death, monitor his brain waves and vitals, and then, while Courtney's dead, run a process to revive him. It's at one point, Courtney is basically being stalked by his haunting or, or his, the spirit after him. He tells the rest of the, the team in a video that, hey, I, I did this because I wanted to be in touch with my sister who died when I was young. 
overall, you know, and including Paige, the performances were really flat. I think the cast was good and it had really good potential, but it just fell flat. And and here's a great example of why this cast ended up being really flat. It was announced that Keith for Sutherland would actually be reprising his role from the first movie and that this version would actually be a sequel rather than a remake. However, if you've watched this movie, you will see that Kiefer Sutherland plays an entirely different role, and there isn't one mention to any of the original Flatliners. (laughs) A very brief appearance early in the movie. Just needed that name, baby. (laughs) Yes, it was crazy. Did anybody else see this? No, I mean, when you said it was the worst movie you've ever seen... I could fall back on my no reason for me to watch that. And then I checked. It's got the exact same score as the worst movie I've ever seen, which is Cool World. Also a 4%. Lauren, did you subject yourself to this torture? I did not. Yeah, you're wiser <laughs> for it. Case, I think I watched like two thirds and then I might have flatlined. Yeah. Like I don't remember the rest. Just flat, right? I mean, I'm not even making a joke on flatlining. It's just there was no. There was you're no not trying to be punny? You're not trying to be punny? I will finish with two positive things, you know, because I'm that kind of a guy, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a positive person. Number one, it gave me a reason to watch the original version, which I found just as enjoyable nearly three decades later. And in researching this movie, I learned that there is a popular pre-hardcore punk band in Canada named The Flatliners. And their most popular song is called Freddy's Got Slacks. Thanks, Case. Well, that's our last feature review. Now we're just going to kind of round out the last four years here of the most recent projects. Starting with My Days of Mercy, Elliot plays a character named Lucy, a, a, a role alongside Kate Mara, and another LGBTQ story. So again, picking up the theme here. The Cured in 2017, uh, a project that Elliot helped produce, played Abby. Very dramatic role. It's a movie about, it's almost like a zombie movie where folks have this sickness and it's all about it's like an othering story i think that's probably why he produced it because it's all about how we treat people that don't have the help that they need or are different than us a lot of the critics and journalists really raved about his involvement here yeah he's very very good in the dramatic moments and sequences again careful selection of projects um but personal note here Elliot married Emma Porter in 2018, so four years after coming out. Everything seemed to be hunky-dory and pretty good. We'll get to an update on that here in a couple years. So then a year later, Elliot is in Tales of the City, uh, a show that's available on Netflix, plays Shauna, another LGBTQ role, plays the one of the main characters alongside Laura Linney, and the whole concept is the character was adopted and... Uh, kind of doesn't have a relationship with her stepmother, doesn't really know it's it's her stepmother. And Laura Linney comes back and the community that she's living in is very LGBT friendly, lots of trans characters, and it's very much a fish out of water experience for um, Laura's husband. And again, that theme is just consistent in terms of the roles that Elliot is taking through this time. And then to cross over with our boy Chris Pratt, a little bit of controversy for Elliot in 2019. He's the one that called out Chris Pratt for his anti-LGBTQ church that Chris Pratt had to go on a little bit of like a public apology tour for, a public explanation tour is maybe a better way to say it. Oh no, being held accountable for my actions. It's terrible. White men <laughs> being held accountable. Weird. Yeah. Oh no, I'm reaping what I sow. 
Elliot was the one who kind of started that controversy. And so some more activism work on his part there. I appreciate it. Always been someone who says things very proudly and has no problem being confrontational. I mean, I think there's like a viral video of when Ted Cruz was running for Texas Senator of Elliot Page showing up to like one of those promotional cookouts that sent, uh, you know, politicians do. And it's Ted Cruz, like just grilling burgers or something. And, Elliot Page just sneaks up to the front there and just immediately starts grilling him on his like anti-LGBT marriage like laws that he's trying to propose. And Ted Cruz just like fumbling like, oh, what? What's going on? It's like, damn, you know, he's 5'1". He's not a big guy. And so to be that uh, confrontational, you know, that takes a lot of like a lot of heart and a lot like fearlessness. And he's a vegan, so he had a little extra fire in him. <laughs> that part didn't come up when they were talking about like marriage laws and whatnot, but I, I bet if they had time, they'd work their way down to that. But more activism work. Elliot narrates and directs There's Something in the Water, a 2019 documentary about the environmental discrimination in Nova Scotia for communities of color. Solid little documentary. They try to get both sides as much as they can. Is this his first directorial? I think so. Really interesting. That sounds intriguing. Definitely a passion project. And then I guess most recently, the most recent project that he's done is the Umbrella Academy plays Vanya, a superhero show where his character doesn't really have any superpowers, plays some violin, but not really. It's more of a learn how to look like play violin, but doesn't actually do it. Yeah. So the only person, the only main character of the five who doesn't actually have any superpowers. Yeah. What I read was that was one of the... um kind of intriguing parts of the role was this character who's you know all its relatives all the characters relatives have superpowers and he's just like a normal person and how that the dynamic of how kind of torturing that is and i think it's like on its third season and it's doing really well i haven't watched it but you don't get that many seasons on netflix if you're just an average show they usually only do that to the one that everyone's watching and then kind of just to round it out, some life things. So the big one, 2020, came out as trans. And, you know, that's that sparked a lot of controversy when that happened. I know there's like Ben Shapiro videos, right? Like, oh, you know, Elliot Page comes out as a man, blah, blah, blah. First to come out as gay about six years prior and the backlash that you face from that. And then to fully embrace, you know, who you are and come out as trans, where now all of a sudden you as a person are becoming kind of like a political talking point. And, you know, you have to, it's not just, hey, this was, you know, I did this for, uh, I think Elliot even mentioned, he's like, I did this for selfish reasons. I wanted to finally be me, you know, and I didn't want this to be a political thing, but now I have Rand Paul talking about me on the Senate floor. Like, this is just like, just trying to be my normal self. And now I'm all over the news and, it's it's got to be a lot it's got to weigh on someone and for that to happen and then covid to happen where there's not a lot of filming of new roles going on and there's not a lot of other things to talk about that news cycle just kind of ate them up and it became the thing to talk about and also just like from a from just like a high profile perspective like i mean he is definitely I mean, you could, I guess you could make the case for Caitlyn Jenner, even though I completely disagree. Probably the most high profile person to, to ever transition, I would imagine, in Hollywood right now. So that's, it takes guts and it takes a lot of, you know, inner strength to be able to do that. So more power to him for being able to, to do that.
And that led to Elliot being the first openly trans man on Time Magazine in 2021. And and then on the, the other side of things, also got divorced at, from Emma Portner in 2021 as well. So just a really interesting and tumultuous couple of years. But from what I could tell from the interviews and what I've read, Elliot's feeling more empowered than ever. And clearly enough to start producing some music, putting out some tunes. So yeah. of, it's... Uh, upbeat music too yeah so a little bit of a new dawn a new day from that standpoint so i read an article that he's actually gotten more offers and stuff thrown at him since he did transition so that's that's good news and it's nice to know that people are are obviously accepting of that hell yeah and it's also shocking because that's just not how hollywood's been they want to be that way but that's just not how they've been practically they haven't been there but that Brings us to modern day. What we normally do when we get to this point is we get into a little top performances from Rigby and see what he's got for us. So I have a list from um, from Screen Rant, which we've used before. Juno has to be number one. Yeah, it got to be. Juno is number one. Good job. Uh, it's not hard candy. I will just... It <laughs> cannot possibly be. Well, I hate to tell you, hard candy is number two, baby. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great performance. I get it. Just, just say just best movies. Tough movie, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is performances. Remember that. Yeah. So it's not movies. Yeah. Mm. Inception has to be on there, I assume. Yeah. yeah, Inception is number four. Okay. Ooh, we skipped three. Hmm. We did. One, I've had I've guessed two, so I'll let you guys kind of take the rest from here. You can't count Juno as a guess. That was like was, that would have been oh, like yeah, Kevin Thor as a guess. Yeah, you All guessed right. the movie that he was nominated for Academy Award. That's you know <laughs> going out on a limb. Brave, very brave, very brave. What about? The Cured. Nope. American Crimes? Uh, that is number nine, so yeah. we're not All doing right. six through ten, but yeah. Yeah. So we're missing three and, three and five? Yep. Whip It. Uh, yes, Whip It is on here. What number? Uh, that's number five. So we need three still. We need three, yep. What about Tallulah? There you go, Lauren. Nice job. Mm. Nailed it. It's a good movie. Okay, so six is My Days of Mercy. Seven is Super. Eight is mouth to mouth. Nine is American Crime, and ten is Peacock. How nuts is it that four out of his top ten movies we didn't even talk about? Like we didn't even scratch the surface on. I think of the of the ten, nine of them we met, at least mentioned. One of them we didn't. Yeah, it's an interesting list, Rigby. It is. It's like a good mix of uh, mainstream indie and performance um, based, kind of some other stuff in between. No X Men on that list, though. Surprise. No Flatliners. <laughs> I, I'm surprised by that. Weird. Weird. All right, it's months and meter time. The way this works, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. They can include anything from longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their range, any awards that they might have won, right? Like, what what does that awards footprint look like? Other talents, personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. So... We will start this time with Rigby. You mentioned it, Kyle. He has uh, really done a great job of choosing roles throughout his career, ranging from Hard Candy, which the movie itself is up for debate on whether it's good, but I don't, I don't think you can watch that and not think that that was a powerful performance, to Juno, which is a light, I don't want to say lighthearted, but it's, it's a tender comedy that's, that's still funny to this day. Big budget movies like X-Men and Inception, 
um, other movies like Tallulah, which people enjoy. And along the way, he has obviously transitioned, but also has stood out from, you know, from an activism standpoint. And I think there's a lot to be said with that. So not only does he have great range, but I think he embodies sort of what a person of that stature should uh, do with their with their Hollywood career, and that is be a good voice for, you know, take on a lot of good roles, be a good voice for a lot of good causes, and and just be a, a good person. So, you know, he gets a lot of points with me for that. Academy Award nominated, but I think the cool thing about Elliot is that he has, he's so young, and with this new part of his life, I think sort of the sky is the limit about what he can, what he can do and what he can achieve. So for him to come out, obviously it wasn't easy, but I think now that it, that has happened, I think I'm hoping that he is feeling better, you know, from a mental health standpoint, and that can translate into having an even stronger career than, than before. So all that being said, I'm going to give him a 76. James. Rigby, I thought that was a great review. Um, I agree with everything you said there. I, yeah. Whenever I see a role that Elliot takes, even if it's a bad movie, you go, wow, that was a really impressive performance, though. And for that to be something you say about someone when you see them in roles starting from when they're like 16 on goes a long way to say about how uh, how advanced an actor he is at such a young age. And you see that by getting a nominated for Academy Award, one of the fourth youngest ever to do it, multiple Emmy nominations. I love the deadpan sense of humor. I love the fact that it is someone who refuses to kind of play into stereotypes. So a lot of the characters he plays, they were never the ditzy, dumb teenage girl. It was always hyper-intelligent. It, it wasn't just like kind of smart. It was the person who would put the adults in their place. And I always found that very fascinating and really well done. And then to be so outspoken in regards to his political beliefs and his mental health issues and his gender identity is really remarkable. I mean, gender identity is so complicated and like mysterious as it is, but politics insists on kind of like fitting everyone into like cute little boxes. And that's just not realistic. And for an actor to be at the height of their fame, uh, to use that opportunity and to use the kind of privilege that comes with being a super wealthy, white, famous person as an opportunity to speak up and against those things is really remarkable. And so for that, I give a big score, and I can't wait to see where his career goes from here. And I'm going to give him an 81. Lauren, our guest Munson. Uh, yeah, I echo a lot of things that have already been said. I think Elliot Page has done a lot of movies that have done really well at the box office. Like I think you look at things like Inception and Juno that everybody's heard of those movies. Everybody's seen those movies Uh and, and, you know, certainly in Juno, but also in Inception, you know, Elliot Page in that movie, you know, that role. And I, I think that that's, that's certainly something to be factored into, to a score here. I also think for, for being so young, Elliot Page has done a lot of things, but has done a lot of, there's a lot of diversity, right? Like there's, there's the hard candy, but then there's whip it. And those are very different roles. And I think that he does both really, really well. And that's pretty rare. Like, I think you see, 
I think Chris Pratt's another example of that is of somebody that, you know, kind of transitioned from drama to action movies and um, drama to comedy to action movies and, and kind of does all of that well. And you don't necessarily see that from a lot of actors. Yeah. And I think that's something that Elliot Page does really, really well. I think especially now that, you know, Elliot is Elliot and is, is kind of coming into this identity that has always been there, but, you know, is, is kind of able to freely live and, and be this person. I think it's, I think, it, I, I think I'm kind of excited to see what happens because like what, what is possible now? You know, what is possible now when his mind and his creative liberties are free to just go wild? Because if he's done all of this in his career thus far, you know, I think I think there's so much potential still there. I think all that said, I'm going to give Elliot Page a score. I am also going to say a 76. I found this to be the most interesting deep dive that I've done yet for the podcast. Ooh. We're kind of used to doing... You know, doing the early stuff, doing, you know, the variety of roles. And, you know, when you look at Elliot, the combination of the fact that he is so excellent from the earliest roles like Hard Candy, which pressed the crap out of me, all the way to the, the project choice from the past five or six years, the alignment, you know, we talked a lot about with like Holly Hunters, like just sometimes you just got to take a role for the dough and that impressed James and I. You know, what impresses the crap out of me with Elliot is Elliot very clearly is, is intentional about the types of projects that he wants to produce, direct, and act in, whether it's a lead or a supporting role. And even if you may not love the outcome or the output, you still have to respect what the work looks like. And like I try to find little lapses in like genuine acting prowess, and I just couldn't find it. Like everything I watch, even if it was crappy movies like Pit Pony or Will Be Wonderful, like some of the, I didn't really love Marion Bridge, like movies like that, that I, I don't think were very good. Elliot still stood out every single time. Yeah. And I, what I found most fascinating is being the first actor we've covered that has transitioned publicly like this, gender, gender wise. It was so interesting to see the little crumbs along the way of how he struggled with his gender identity throughout his career. And that there's even a line in Juno where his character, Juno, says to J.K. Simmons, I don't really know what kind of girl I am. And I, I, part of me was like, I don't think that's acting at that moment in time. Like, I think that's her, at the time, her speaking truth to power in that role as Juno. And so, like, just seeing how uncomfortable he was throughout his career with things like Inception, I just found to be a really, like, intriguing intellectual exercise. And so I'm excited based on Rigby's comment earlier that apparently he's getting like even better offers and because I'm, I'm really excited to see what we see from Ellie in the next five years and what types of projects he takes on. So I, this is consistent across the board. I'm also going to give Elliot a 76. All right, Case, round us out. I just appreciate we saved the best for last tonight. As always. Uh, very exciting. Not the best looking for last. So don't, don't get it twisted. <laughs> if I'm being honest... You know, before this episode, I, I really knew nothing about Elliot Page, but it was one of those episodes where you're researching, and then like Lauren said, you just start identifying, oh, I remember him in that. So it was a lot of fun to prepare for this episode. I was really impressed with how well Elliot does in, in the box office metrics that I look at. With the volumes of movies and the amount of performers we've now covered, 
to be able to put up such big numbers comparatively is really impressive. And he's done a lot in the industry, right? He's acted, directed. He's now a recording artist with uh, three Spotify songs. That's right. He's been a cinematographer, and he's produced films. And really, the only thing he hasn't done is tried his hand in writing, which I, I really hope he does get into, because I think he's, uh, he's had a fascinating life journey. And it would be interesting to see how, how he portrays that, either in a screenplay or some sort of a novel or, or something like that. I, I would be interested in, in reading that. It's fascinating. I agree with most everything that's been said, and I'm going to give Elliot a 77. So, with all of our scores in, that puts Elliot at a 77.2, which will put Elliot in 16th place in between Chris Rock and Rami Malek. If he has one or two more either major films or iconic roles he very easily could re-end up in our top 10 especially at the age we're talking a very young actor here you're right i'll fill in for warren here and kind of give you a heads up on what he has coming up yeah jump right so in. the what are types of movies you can film during a pandemic animated ones and so oh. <laughs> their post-production <laughs> got three movies coming out naya legend of the golden dolphin robo dog and Ark, the animated series, all of which Elliot is lending his voice to. But when you hear some of these casts, so Naya, Legend of the Golden Dolphin, that's going to be Elliot, Gerard Butler, Kate Winslet, Megan Fox. Pretty good cast there. I've heard of them. Yep. Robo Dog, which uh, I'm assuming is about a dog that's a robot. Uh, <laughs> it'd be Rain Wilson, Ron Perlman, Steve Zahn, Elliot Page. But then this is the one I wanted to get to, which is arc the animated series i believe this is based off of a video game but i'm not sure but this cast is bananas gerard butler russell crowe malcolm mcdowell elliot page of course alan tudyk carl urban jeffrey wright and then the one the only vin diesel nice yes sold that sounds like a show I will probably have to watch. That's, a, that's not a movie. That's a TV show. So I am pumped to watch that. Lauren, were you disappointed he didn't have any future projects with Patrick Wilson? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they're going to do a Hard Candy too. I would love to see the reunion on that. <laughs> Legally old enough to consent is the fucking tagline of the movie. As Kevin Feige reintroduces mutants into the MCU, maybe Kitty Pride will make a reappearance at some point you know, on the Marvel side. Oh, yeah, maybe. All right, five actors that we're throwing on the wheel for our next episode, which will be episode 45. And that episode drops on September 23rd. Dan Craig will be joining us for his regularly scheduled appearance. And the five actors that the wheel was deciding between are Hugo Weaving, David Spade, Elizabeth Moss, Bing Rames, and Brittany Snow. Of those five, what do you like? What do you dislike? And who do we think Dan Craig would choose to join for i'm afraid that dan craig has chose to join for hugo weaving which i have very little interest in covering because don't get me wrong there's a bunch of good movies but he is not the main draw in any of them yeah more of a supporting character for sure joe dirt mr anderson's not that cool <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> A lot of Lord of the Rings action there. Ving Rhames, we would get to cover Striptease starring Demi Moore. Okay. That's always a great role of his. Mm. Yeah, Ving Rhames would be awesome. Yeah, it would be. 
I wouldn't mind doing David Spade just because it would be a, a lighter episode for sure. Yeah. I don't think he would score well. No. Get to watch some trashy movies. But <laughs> also, uh, we get to watch Joe Durr, which is a pod favorite. So Joe Dierte. We have not talked about Joe Dierte yet. Joseph R. Dierte. Kid Rock is not on the list of actors, so you know that wasn't one of the ones. Elizabeth Moss is a great actress. Yeah. But it's mostly TV stuff. Yeah, I, I think I've seen... I mean, I've seen a lot of her TV work, but I think it would, I'd be curious to watch some more of her films. Mm-hmm. Would that be your pick? Cause I, that would be my pick too. Yes. I, I'd love to cover Elizabeth Moss. I think she would be yeah. fascinating, especially as, isn't she, she's a Scientologist, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. It'd be very funny to have to cover that and tiptoe around that uh, whole deal. She'd be the first one that we have, that we've covered, yeah. I think. Yeah. That'd be like, it's such a dichotomy. Was she the lead in an invisible man? Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. She's been incredible in pretty much anything she's been in the past couple of years, man. Invisible Man was great. Great movie. She's an awesome actress. She's just a fucking Scientologist. <laughs> Gonna lose some points there. We didn't talk about Britney Snow. Any thoughts on Britney Snow? Or is she just kind of like, meh? No interest in Britney uh, Snow or Hugo Weaving. I There's a three-person strike zone I'm looking forward to here. <laughs> Don't want to talk about the Pitch Perfect movies and Hairspray? Basically musicals. I would love for us to watch, one of us to have to watch uh, John Tucker Must Die. Just because that movie, that movie oh, is yeah. got, it's god awful. And watching it 15 years later, I think we'd want to throw something at the TV while we watch it. So, Kyle, didn't we cover Hairspray? We did on the Marsden episode. Yeah, Chip, Chip did a full Chip, review. That's right. Well, we'll see. Dan Craig chose one of those five. Although he he's choosing who to join us for, he doesn't decide the actor ultimately. That's the wheel that decides, and we'll let the wheel decide. The wheel decides. I'm the only one who still whispers the wheel decides. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've reached the end of episode 44, and Lauren, the floor is yours, hot one style, cameras over here, cameras over here. Any plugs, any upcoming projects you're working on we always appreciate you being here and we want to give you your opportunity to share some wisdom no upcoming projects that i'm working on specifically right now there was this there's a tv series that actually just wrapped here in pittsburgh that i wish i could have worked on but i'm excited to see it so i'm gonna plug it um but they made a tv series based on the movie a league of their own oh cool which of course, is an amazing movie. Yeah, classic. Yeah, I wish I'd been able to make it work with my schedule to to go and work on that movie, but I couldn't. But I'm excited to see it. And you talked about your work in Gabriel's Rapture. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be a cinematic or a streaming release? That'll be a streaming release. Passion Flicks, when they create their movies, they release them direct to their own streaming platform, so it'll go out on their streaming platform. It and it'll release in parts. They'll release because it'll it'll. It will likely be a long movie. I think part one will likely release before the end of this year. Cool. That's very cool. Excited for that. That'll be neat to follow. Absolutely. We'll have to take a screenshot and post it for the world to see. Yeah. We know her. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Lauren. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a blast. Great having you back. This has been fun, as always. So as always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can... Find us on the IG, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Elliot Page? That's what you get for fucking with the crimson bone, and now your legs are gone! 
Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?